want to talk about uh, forgiveness. And uh, actually, you know, Bethel requires us, Bethel Media requires us to have a title for our message, which is kind of interesting. Sometimes it's harder to come for the title than it is the message. So I call this bitterness as an equal opportunity destroyer. <laughs> Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 5 and we'll just jump right into the message today. I love, um, I love the Bible. I especially love the words of Jesus. I, you know, Bill said many years ago he began sharing that um, his mottos, you know, Jesus is perfect theology. And if, whatever you find in the life of Jesus or the teaching of Jesus, if, you, if, you, if your understanding of the Bible, if you, can't, if you can't find what you believe in either the teaching of Jesus or the life of Jesus, you have reason to question it. That's Bill's quote, and at least I have it partly memorized. I hope it's close to what... Sometimes I'm quoting Bill, and he's on the front row going, I'm like, close? He's like... So, um, but I want to jump into just the middle of uh, an exhortation that Jesus is actually giving, I think, just to his disciples, but now to us. Verse 21, you've heard it said that the, the ancients were told that you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you're good for nothing, shall be guilty of the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go to, into, the fire, into fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Everybody say, your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. I I want to just start right there and say that we're responsible for our actions. And I want to talk today about two sides of offense and forgiveness. The first one is mentioned here when Jesus is talking about the fact that somebody has something against you. And I would say that the, the, it would be also, uh, the reverse would be true. If you have something against your brother. But I, I like um, that Jesus begins with, you, you, have, you, you, you go to give an offering. Here, you're here this morning and you're worshiping God. And you know, we, it's, it's amazing how vibrant and how uh, zealous we can be in worship and yet, um, sometimes when our hearts are, um, when we've offended other people, God is like, you're, you know, your, your um, dance is amazing, your, your, uh, your singing's great, I, I love your clapping, but um, you have, your brother has something against you. And right now, as important as worship is to God, and we, we, we always, you know, say in this house and have for many years that our first ministry is to God. God says, when you are come into my house and you're ministering to me and you realize that somebody has something against you, even though it's as important as worship is, it's, it's just as important, or maybe in this case, if in the context of Jesus' words, maybe it's more important that you reconcile with your brother. And Jesus is telling us, you know, don't tell me that, you're, that you want to worship me and, and not clean up your mess with your brother. And so... How many of you understand that 
that we have a responsibility, that we have to take responsibility for our actions, and that living in, living in unforgiveness or having offended somebody and not doing something about that is not okay with God. This means yes. <laughs> do, you, do you understand that um, it's that the way that we go about reconciling with our brother is not a personality type? In other words, if if somebody has if I if I've offended somebody or somebody has or I have something against somebody else, how many know that I'm not supposed to pray about it? Here we go. It's not, if, I, if, I, if I'm carrying unforgiveness for somebody, Jesus didn't tell me, pray about it. He said, go talk to my brother about it. Go talk to the person, not my brother that I'm not offended with, not my brother who's not offended with me, not 15 other people. I'm supposed to go talk to the person I know. I do. I talk to my brother about it. I talk to other people about my offense and other people talk about their offense with me. No, no, I'm supposed to go talk to the person that I am offended with or that's offended with me. Are you following me at all? Um, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 25 says this, Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth to one another with his neighbor. Let each of you speak truth to one another with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, yet do not let... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let me just read that last part. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. It's important for us to realize that anger is not unforgiveness. Anger is not sin. But how many of you understand that if you stay angry long enough, that anger turns to bitterness? Like if you let anger germinate... It will turn to bitterness. So anger itself is not sin. But if I let the sun go down on my anger, anger has a way of germinating and turning into unforgiveness and bitterness. Years ago when we were young, um, which was not too long ago, <laughs> we used to, uh, Bill and Benny were you know, mentoring us personally. We, were, we, were, we stayed with them lots of times and we lived with them for six months and... and um, we, you know, all our kids grew up together, and so in those days we were not nearly as busy. And Bill um, taught me, especially me, he, he counseled us, he said, don't go to sleep without, don't go to sleep with anger in your heart. So he took this verse one day, in fact, he was teaching in men's meeting one day, and I picked it up and, and brought it, kind of brought that principle home to us. But Bill was teaching on a, on a, in a, in a, actually in a men's retreat, and he was talking about how he keeps short accounts and how he keeps short accounts with his family, how he keeps short accounts with his wife. And he, said, and, he, and he said, I live by this principle. I never go to bed mad. And so um, that started kind of a, a, a tradition for us, if you will, that Kathy and I, we, we've often been angry with one another. That's a shock, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know why she gets like that. But Bill taught us that we weren't, that we weren't to stay, that we weren't to, to let anger live for more than one day in our life. 
So oftentimes we would be talking late into the morning, two or three o'clock in the morning. I would be doing most of the talking. She would do most of the listening because <laughs> I'm the one who needed to clean up my mess most of the time. It's really tough living with an angel. <laughs> Plus, if I did something wrong, she'd say, I'm going to go tell Bill. And I'm like, okay, now, let's talk this out. And so, um, so we, we began this principle in our life and we, we, that Bill taught us. And we, we, taught it to our, we taught our children that if you have something going on with, in your family, with your spouse... Don't sleep on it. You know, don't like, okay, well, let's just sleep on it. And I'm not saying that, you know, sometimes you just, we just get exhausted and we get frustrated with one another, and basically a good night's sleep really helps. I'm talking about unforgiveness, bitterness. I'm talking about, uh, um, I'm talking about a conflict. You know, something happens in our life when we let conflicts grow more than a day. Uh, this principle says, um, Paul writes here, don't... Uh, let the sun go down on your anger. And the next verse says, don't give the devil place. It's important to realize that anger turns to bitterness and bitterness opens the door for demonic activity in our lives. You, you, how, how many of you don't want the devil in your life? <laughs> I, sometimes I read crazy things on Facebook. People are like, I received, when I receive Jesus Christ, the devil has no place in my life. He doesn't have a place in your life unless you give it to him. And one of the primary ways that you give the devil a place is through unforgiveness and bitterness. Um, we, we have this little thing, and we talk about the rules of war. We used to teach a family class, and we, together we, we um, taught couples, especially married couples, the rules of war. So let me just give you three rules of war. Once you've forgiven somebody, you cannot bring up a past situation to justify your present offense. Let me read that again. Once you've forgiven someone, you cannot bring up a past situation to justify a present offense. When, if, you're, if you are angry with somebody, let's say your spouse, you can't say, once you say, you know, you left your... You left your socks on the floor, and it really ticks me off. It makes me feel not valued. It makes me feel like you don't care, da-da-da. And that happened oh, th three weeks ago. And you say, I'm really sorry. You pick up your socks. You say, I, I repent you know, of my sock, um, my sock sins. And, <laughs> and then a month later, you leave your socks on the floor again. Your wife cannot say, your spouse cannot say, you always leave your socks on the floor. No, no, listen. Part, the second rule of war is that you have to stay on the subject that you're angry about now. You can't pull your history into your present situation. <laughs> That's a good word right there. Number three, the goal of communication is understanding, not agreement. I'm not talking to you so that you'll agree with me, but that you hear my heart. So I am not... When, when, I'm in a, when I'm in a conflict with you, I'm not trying to convince you I'm right or that you're wrong. I'm trying to tell you how I feel. So trying to convince somebody, listen, if I'm trying to convince you I'm right, you're just going to defend yourself and you're not going to hear me. And if I don't hear you and you don't hear me, how many of you know we're not going to reconcile? 
So my, the goal of communication is not to convince you I'm right. It's to convince you how your actions or my actions have affected you. Number four, never yell or call names or think that you know someone, why someone behaved a certain way. You don't know someone else's motives. Selah. You know why you do that? Because you're selfish. Well, you don't actually know why I do that. The truth is, I don't even know my own heart unless Jesus shows it to me. So you certainly don't. So when I'm in a conflict with somebody, I'm talking to them about how their behavior has affected me. I don't know why they did it. I just know how it affected me. Are you with me? So, so the goal is to communicate how somebody's behavior, how their words, how the circumstances affected you. Not why they did it. You don't know why they did it. As a matter of fact, bitterness often begins in my heart when I determine that I know why you did it. <laughs> and the last thing I want to say this is this, is that forgiveness restores the standard. I've told this story many times, but Kathy and I, um, Kathy was in the kitchen one day, and, and we were, we, we, I can tell you, we don't argue much over... 38 years, I can count on both hands, both toes, and maybe yours, too. <laughs> How many times we've been in any kind of a, a serious argument that lasted more than an hour? I mean, it, it's, it hasn't been very often. And we're, we're not yellers and screamers. Neither one of us are yellers and screamers. I'm not saying we've never yelled, but it is, it is rare. And one day, we're in the kitchen. I thought we were alone, and Kathy had done something that that really offended me, and so I was really angry, and I was telling her, and I was being disrespectful, and I was talking to her in, you know, in a very heated tone, and, um, and then we went to bed that night, and I said, and I really felt bad, and I realized I was wrong, which usually happens about midway through the conversation when I'm angry. I usually, like, oh, that was really not, actually, she's right, which really makes me mad, and then I... <laughs> And so we were having one of those conversations, and I went to bed that night. This is probably like 5 o'clock. We went to bed that evening, and I, I was feeling really convicted. And so we, I rolled over in bed, and I said, I, I'm really sorry for the way I treated you. You, you didn't deserve that, um, and uh, would you forgive me? And she said, yeah, I, I forgive you. And so we went to, I, we were just, you know, we went back to sleep, and I felt like, right before I went to sleep, I felt like the Lord said, Oh, I didn't tell you this part. In the middle of this heated argument, actually, I was the only one talking, which is true a lot of the times. One of our sons walked in the room, and I just continued to, you know, tell her how I felt. And so, um, so we we went through that thing at night. Went to, when we went to bed, and told her I asked her to forgive me. She forgave me. And right before I went to sleep, the Lord said to me, "You haven't asked your son to forgive you." And if you don't ask your son to forgive you, he's going to think that it's okay to treat a woman like that. So I thought, well, you know, we just ought to make this a family affair. So the next morning, my, and our kids were all teenagers at the time. And so I said, uh, hey, you guys, um, before we go to school, let, can we get together for a few minutes? I want to talk to you. And they're like, oh, dad's got another new message he wants to try on us, you know? <laughs> oh, no, dad's got a new revelation. <laughs> Testing on the children first. 
They're like, you know, one of them's like, how long is this going to take? You know, <laughs> he who endures till the end shall be saved, you know. <laughs> so so they, they're like, oh, I got to go to school. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Just, it's just going to take a couple minutes. So they, they came in, sat on the couches, and, and uh, Kathy comes in, and they're like, you know, doing everything like, and they don't even have a watch, you know. <laughs> and so, um, so I said, you know, yesterday I was rude to your mother, and, and uh, I said to one of my sons who was in the room, you, you heard me, and I, I want to say to, uh, to Kathy, um, would you forgive me? And she said, of course, in that meeting with the kids, yes, I do. And I said, I just, I wanna, and I want to ask you to f- forgive me for treating your mother like that. And they're like, all right, we forgive you. I'm like, are we done? <laughs> like, this was pretty painless, you know, like the shortest sermon dad's had in a long time. I said, yeah, we're done. So I think it was a day or two later, one of my kids came in to the uh, kitchen, and I was out someplace, and they were having a conversation with Kathy, and, and they were being really rude. And so I happened to walk in the kitchen as they were kind of finishing their conversation, and I turned to uh, one of my sons, and I said to him, you're being rude to your mother. He said, well, you were rude to her two days ago. I said, yeah, but you forgave me. And when you forgave me, you gave up the right to act like I acted. Because forgiveness restores the standard. He goes, whatever. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) I don't think he understood where I was going. But it made me feel very good. He left the room that day, and, and I thought, you know what? That really is a powerful truth. See, if we, if we don't realize, first of all, if we don't realize that when Jesus forgave us, that he restored us, repentance rest, means to be restored to the pinnacle. If we don't realize when Jesus restored us, he restored us as if we never sinned. Then let's say that we were promiscuous in, in high school, and then we have children, and they're in high school, and we begin to see the their actions, you know, let's say they start to move towards immorality or impurity. If we don't realize that Jesus, his forgiveness restored the standard in our life, we don't feel like we, are, we have a place to actually correct our children because we think, well, we did this, so what right do I have? I'm, I'm being hypocritical. It, you know, I, I, I behave like that. What confidence do I have to to, to to address my children's behavior when I failed in, in high school. I failed uh, uh, morally. But when I realized that when Jesus forgave me, he restored me to the pinnacle. He, he, his forgiveness is so deep that he now sees me as if I had never sinned. And he requires me to see myself the same way. I don't have permission to hold myself in unforgiveness for something that Jesus forgave me for. I want to say that one more time. I don't, I don't have permission to not forgive myself when Jesus has. And I don't have permission to act as if Jesus hasn't forgiven me when I've asked for forgiveness and walked in forgiveness. And so forgiveness is a big deal. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 talks about what to do what to do when someone's offended you. So Matthew 5, what to do when someone when you've offended somebody else. 
you're worshiping, you're praying, it comes to your mind, and someone has an offense against you. In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about what happens when, you, when somebody has offended you. And here it is, verse 15. If your brother sins, go show him his fault in private. Go show him his fault in what? Private. If he listens to you, you've won a brother. If he does not listen to you, tell everybody in the church about it. Put it on Facebook. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact would be confirmed. Let me just stop right there and say this. The goal is reconciliation. When I, when I have, when somebody has offended me, when they've sinned against me, let's just say, not say offended, let's say they've actually sinned against me. The goal is reconciliation. The goal isn't justice. If you want justice, you better be careful because Jesus will require justice of you for everything you've done wrong. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is that our, our relationship would be restored. So when I'm bringing two or three other people with me, I'm not bringing them, so they're not bringing my attorneys with me. <laughs> Selah. When I bring somebody with me, let's say that, let's say that, um, that Lance and I have a, a problem. Let's say I, I sinned against Lance. And, and he comes and talks to me about it. And I'm like, you know what? I just, listen, Lance, this is the way it is. You know what? I don't care what you think. And Lance is like, wow. He needs some help. He's not trying to find some people to come with him to justify he's right. He's trying to find some folks that can help us reconcile. If I bring somebody with me to help me reconcile, I am not bringing my attorney, my mother. I'm not bringing somebody like stick up for me. I'm bringing somebody who has wisdom and that is valued by both of us. Let me repeat that. The practical part of closure, in other words, walking through forgiveness, is that I bring somebody that we both respect. It doesn't do any good for me to bring someone I respect and they don't respect. That is a witness. That is an, that's an attorney. Are you, are you following me? So I am looking for someone that will help us to reconcile. Okay, Jesus goes on. Um, if he refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church. You know, this is when there was one church in town. Now you tell it to the church and they go to the next one. If he refuses to listen to the church, then let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Uh, now this is really interesting. Let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about, about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in his name, I am in their midst. Now, did you notice that these verses, verse 18 through verse 20, are in the context of forgiveness? Now, I'm not saying that the principle doesn't apply to other things, but did you notice that Jesus says, where two of you agree on anything, it shall be done for them. Did you realize that the context is about forgiveness? It's not just about forgiveness. It's about forgiveness when I've went through a con continual process with somebody. I've went to them. They didn't forgive. 
I brought a brother or a sister or a brother and sister with me to try to reconcile. It didn't happen. I brought them to a, the, the bigger body of, of uh, accountability, wherever their place of accountability is. And that didn't, it, that didn't work. Now he says, listen, I want you to treat them like a Gentile. I want you to treat them like an unbeliever. How do I treat an unbeliever? I forgive them when they don't deserve it. Are you with me? I, I treat them like a Gentile. It's like, I don't send them to hell. I treat them as if they, I treat them, I, I forgive them even though they don't deserve it. And I do that by agreeing with Jesus. I find two or three people who say, oh, listen, Lance comes and he, he, does, he does the process. He, he comes to me personally. He, he, he brings a friend that we tries to reconcile. We still don't reconcile. You know, he, he gets the leadership team. In our case, our leadership team. We meet with them. And he says, hey, you know, Chris, we've tried everything. And I'm saying to the leadership team, dude, I'm not listening to you guys. Now he treats me as a Gentile. How does he do that? He gets some people, probably the two people who he, who he brought, to agree with him that we, he will at least forgive us on me, even though I don't deserve it because that's how I got into the kingdom but what I don't get to do is hold bitterness in my heart <laughs> how do I know that's true verse 18 listen I'm sorry verse 21 now verse 20 talks about two or three gathering in his name are you with me verse uh, verse 18 through 20 talks about agreeing with if you agree on earth as to touch it anything how do we know that we still, he's still talking about forgiveness? The very next verse, Peter says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So Peter understands that Jesus is still talking about forgiveness when he's talking about getting two or three people to agree with you and treating them like Gentiles. And that, you're that if you, whatever you bind on earth, Lord, I, uh, on earth I bind forgiveness. I release it on this brother who will not reconcile with me. And Jesus says, then I, in heaven, I have already bound forgiveness to them. I've already sent them forgiveness. In fact, in John 20, he breathed on his disciples when he rose from the dead. First, his first commission to them is, whomever you forgive, I forgive. And Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? And I, I, this is a funny one, one of those funny verses. I'm thinking, Peter is asking how many times he has to forgive. You just have to think through this. And Jesus goes on to say, Seven times. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but up to seven times seven. And people are trying to work out the math. No, he's just saying, you always need to forgive. Listen, I, I, listen, I just walked you through, Jesus says, I just walked you through the process of closure. You go to your brother in private. The one who offended you. You bring somebody to help reconcile. You bring them to their place of accountability. Nothing worked. Now, your, your option isn't to be bitter. Do you have a relationship with them? No, you probably don't have much relationship because of the process didn't work. But you still release them to God and you release them to forgiveness. This helping. And then this is the story where, um, and we're not going to read it this morning, but where Jesus talked about a guy who was forgiven, let's say a million dollars. And 
the king. And it says, in fact, Jesus begins with this. Let me just read you this first. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven shall be compared to a king who forgave a servant, let's say a million dollars. And his, and after he, the servant begged him for mercy. And then his friend, the guy who got forgiven a million dollars, owed him like $10,000. He comes to his friend, he says, hey, you know, pay me. The guy says, hey, have mercy on me. And he refuses to have mercy on him, and he, and he sends him to debtor's prison. Remember this story? The king hears about it, and brings the first servant back in and says, hey, didn't I forgive you a million dollars? He said, yeah. He says, why didn't you forgive the, your brother who owed you 10000 And it says, and the king, filled with rage, turned to the servant who owed originally him a million dollars and said, lock him up in prison and let the tormentors torment him until... He pays the last cent. Now, here's what's scary. The last verse of that, I think it's verse 38, says this. It's verse 35. It says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you do not forgive his brother from your heart. That's in the New Testament. Not only is it in the New Testament, Jesus said it. What did Jesus say? He said, I'll let the tormentors torment you into forgiveness. Listen, you can't enter heaven without forgiving your brother. Do you understand that? You can't enter heaven with unforgiveness in your heart. And Jesus goes, listen, I'd rather have the tormentors torment you into forgiveness. I'd rather have the Egyptians chase you across the Red Sea. Because I know you're not going to get there by yourself. So I, listen, I've tried to get you to forgive. And if nothing's worked, so you know what? We'll just let the tormentors force you across the sea of forgiveness. But we're not going to let you live with unforgiveness. Well, I'm a Christian. I know. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like. He didn't say the kingdom of the world, and he didn't say the kingdom of hell. Selah. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the the, the, the springs of life. Watch over your life with all, start over, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Joyce Meyer says, unforgiveness is like drinking deadly poison and thinking the other person's going to die. That's <laughs> such a great quote. You know, unforgiveness is like an octopus. It has many tentacles that seep into our soul and choke out our life. If you have it going on in your life, like I think that unforgiveness is the most deadly sin in the body of Christ. I think it kills more marriages, destroys more families, splits more churches, destroys more individuals than any other individual sin in life. It's the only it's the only sin in which Jesus said, I'll send the tormentors on you if you don't do this. Five reasons why people live in unforgiveness. They're unwilling to be wrong because wrong means they're being punished. One of the reasons why we don't want to forgive is because we, 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 we refuse to admit we're wrong. 
And sometimes I don't want to admit I'm wrong because when I grew up, admitting I was wrong meant I got punished. But how many understand that if you live with unforgiveness, you're going to be tormented? (laughs) Number two, I don't forgive because I want justice. And how many of you understand when I ask for justice, my own arrogance has blinded me to the fact that I received forgiveness and that's the only way I got into the kingdom and I've forgotten where I came from. It's, it's arrogant to think you're perfect. Well, I don't forgive that person because they, have, they did this to me. And you have never done anything to anyone? You've never, listen, you know what? You better make sure you've never done any, if you're going to require perfection out of people, you better make sure that you walk by that standard. Because Jesus said, by your measure shall be measured to you. So you're like, well, they, they, they intentionally, they were selfish. It's like, have you ever been selfish? They yelled at me. Have you ever, has your speech ever been bad? No, I, I, don't, I don't yell at people. I just disappear for three months. Oh, you're, you're passively aggressive. Number three, they need a reason to justify their actions. Sometimes people won't forgive because they need a reason to justify their actions. Uh, when we did marriage counseling, when we first came here the first three years, a lot of people hold unforgiveness, for instance, for their spouse because they have an extramarital relationship going on and they need a reason to feel like it's okay, what they're doing is justified. Well, let me tell you about all the things she did. That's why I'm doing this. Really? Really? Someone else's bad actions give you permission to behave? My mama used to say, two wrongs don't make a right. So somebody else's bad, so I hang on to unforgiveness because it justifies my, my actions. Number five, they're convinced that their feelings are their convictions. This is part, actually this is number four. They're convinced that their feelings are their convictions. They don't realize that their convictions dictate their feelings and not vice versa. Well, I must be bitter. I feel bitter. I don't care how you feel. Sometimes I need help with my pain after I've forgiven. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. How many of you think that his physical pain went away? Are we all right this morning? <laughs> Forgiving someone doesn't mean my pain's going to go away. I may need help with my... If someone runs over me on purpose and I forgive them, it doesn't mean my body instantly gets healed. If someone leaves me, if, I, if I'm married and my wife or husband leaves me, and breaks my heart and I forgive him. It doesn't mean my soul isn't still in pain. If somebody beats me up and I'm, uh, I'm all bruised from head to toe and I, and I forgive them, it doesn't mean that, you, that my bruises go away. Uh, in other words, what I'm trying to do is separate the fact that I feel pained doesn't mean I haven't forgiven. I haven't forgiven means I no longer want you punished for what you did. Now, Walking out of pain is another thing. Walking out of forgiveness is one thing. Walking out of pain is another. I can totally forgive you. You know, if you borrowed $10,000 from me, and you say I'll pay you back on Monday, and two years later you haven't paid me back, and you say I'm not paying you back, 
for whatever reason, and I forgive you, it means I don't send you a bill. It doesn't mean that when we don't have groceries and we can't pay our rent, I don't think, man, if I had $10,000, I could pay my rent. It, no, I, I feel the pain that, of the loss of the money that I need to, make my, to, to, to pay my bills. But I don't send you a bill. I don't try to collect from you because I've forgiven you. Does that make sense? And I'm not bitter with you that it happened. It doesn't take away the fact that you changed, that you created pain in my life. So I may need to go get some help, maybe a brother, sister, a counselor, to help walk through this pain and get healed. But healing for pain and releasing of forgiveness are not the same thing. And the last thing I'll say is this. Sometimes, number five, sometimes I don't forgive because I think that I have to trust the violator. Now, if, you know, if I'm a woman and I get raped in a dark alley, I have to forgive. Because if I don't, first of all, it's going to kill me. But I don't ever have to go in a dark alley with that person again. I don't have to ever trust that person again. Trust is a separate issue than forgiveness. Now, let's face it. If I'm married to someone and I forgive them, I need, them, I need to give them a place to win trust back if I'm going to have a relationship. Because trust is at the foundation of every relationship. Are you following me? But... So, but I, I don't need a relationship with a rapist, but I need to forgive them. So sometimes people refuse to forgive because they're under the impression if they forgive, they have to trust. No, no, trust is earned, forgiveness is required. And by the way, for, you know, forgiveness is a choice, but it's really not an option. Unforgiveness is not really an option. <laughs> Years ago, we, um, we, we bought... A Union 76 station. <laughs> we were under the influence of the spirit of 76 for many years. We were really broke. Everything we had and more, actually, my grandmother actually gave us money to buy the station. We had no money whatsoever. The very first week we were in business, the Forest Service brought in this, uh, this big job, repair this truck, and put these four tires on this truck and they put brand new tires in the in the back of the truck and said would you mount and balance these tires and one of my guys left the truck outside and which is usually fine in weaverville you know think of it weaverville where are you going to run to when you steal something but um but a guy came uh, somebody stole the tires out of the back of the truck and this started this big old process because those tires were worth about in those days, about $1,000, which was a lot of money in those days, and we didn't have any money. So my only recourse was to go buy new tires for the foresters. So we, Kathy and I, out of our own pocket, went and bought new tires, and I was pretty, pretty hurt. About probably two weeks later, somebody called me, and they said, hey, dude, I want to tell you, I just mounted four tires on this guy's truck, and they had in yellow crayon, U.S. Forest Service. Could these possibly be the tires that were stolen? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I think he's down there at Ace Hardware. I ran down to, the, to Ace Hardware, and on the inside of the tires, it had in yellow crayon, U.S. Forest Service. There was the guy who stole my tires. Well, anyway, the police caught him. Da, da, da. About a year later, he, did, he didn't know that I knew that, that he had gotten caught. About a year later, he came in for some work on his car on his truck and he wanted a smog certificate and I was like oh so I'm underneath the hood of his car 
And I'm thinking, I'm going to get this guy back. And I start disassembling his engine. <laughs> Just a little bitter. One of the guys who works there walks by and he says, what are you doing? I, he said, I thought you were doing a small job. I said, this is the guy who stole our tires. Wait till he comes back for his cars. It's going to be in little pieces. And I'm underneath the hood taking things off. And he, and he says to me, what would Jesus do? That's all he said. What would Jesus do? And he walked off. And I'm like, dang, you had to mess up a perfectly good bitter party. What would Jesus do? So, oh, man. So, anyway, so I, I, I got out from under the hood, and I'm like, what would Jesus do? I know what Jesus would do. So I, I, I put it, all the stuff I'd taken off back on, and I did the work the guy, that the guy you know, brought it in for. And uh, about, you know, at the end of the day, he comes in to, um, to get his truck, and usually I have a cash, the cashier take care of him, and I'm like, I'll take care of this guy. When he comes in, come get me. So he... He comes in to get his truck, and I went through the whole list of stuff that, we, that he asked for that we fixed, put parts and everything in it, 100, 200 bucks. And I handed him the bill, and I said, it's, it's, a, it's all paid for. He goes, I go, uh, a year and a half ago, he goes, well, what, why? I said, a year and a half ago, you stole my tires off the Forest Service truck. He goes, no, dude, I was, I, he started, I go, hey, 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 wait, 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 you're missing the point here. I forgive you. I forgive you, and I want you to know how deeply I forgive you. I want to give you this as a gift. <laughs> he, he looks up at me. He goes, oh, okay. I walked out of the office. Three minutes later, he's still standing, staring out the window. <laughs> Seriously, staring out the window. He gets in his truck. The truck's inside the, uh, the work bay. He gets in the truck, and he sits in the truck for five minutes, staring out the, steering, staring out the, the windshield at the bay. He's in total shock. That was totally worth 200 bucks right there. <laughs> Would you stand? It's late, we have to go, but I want to say this to you. If you have, if someone's offended you, you need to go to them. If you've offended somebody, don't walk in here being all spiritual, knowing people have stuff about you. If you, someone's talking about you, if somebody has hurt you, Go reconcile. Well, it's not my fault. I don't care whose fault it is. It's your responsibility. Well, how do I know it's my responsibility? You know about it. You know about it? Listen, if it's, and by the way, if someone talks about somebody else to you, guess what? They'll talk about you to somebody else. So when someone comes to you and, and tells you, you know, Joe hurt my feelings, da-da-da, listen, if you're not a part of the problem and you're not a part of the solution, frankly, it's none of your business. And so uh, what I do every time with staff, whatever, they come and say, I have a problem. So I say, have you talked to them? I say, well, uh, no. I say, what are you talking to me for? Listen, if you need me to be involved, bring them here and we'll talk together. But you're not going to talk to me about them without them being present. So I want to pray for you right now, all y'all. I want to pray for all y'all, all of us all. 
Of course, I never deal with this anymore because I teach about it, so I know these principles, and I <laughs> walk them out perfectly every day. As you can see, I live in total and complete uh, uh, peace. But Lord, I just, I pray for these people. No, I pray for all of us. God, that we would walk with a pure heart. We would walk with clean hands, a pure heart, and that we would live in peace, and that we would always work towards reconciliation with our brothers and sisters, whether they're wrong or right, whether we're wrong or right, that it would be our goal to be in right relationship with the body and the head. In Jesus' name, amen.